Hi guys, it's me Sanchi, and after a really long time, I know we've been gone for a really long time, so it's really good to be back with you guys. And I have with me Ashwini, and hi Ashwini. <laughs> hey. How about you introduce our guest Ashwini? Sure. Hi Cody. Uh, we have with us today Kandanya Vacha. Uh, who is a math slash computer science PhD student at the University of Pittsburgh, and he's going to be talking to us today about Sanskrit and programming. That's right. Yeah, I'm just a math PhD student, right? Um, so uh, I'm not really into computer science that much. Although that might seem quite paradoxical, but anyway, thanks for having me. Hi, Gordy. Really nice having you with us. Thank you for inviting me. And if I may do some marketing just before we start, because well, this is the only place where we market ourselves. Um, nobody else ever will. Uh, Cody and I run a, a seminar, not seminar, maybe you can say lecture series um, on Saturdays at 7 p.m. IST, where we teach lean to undergrad and above students who are interested in math. We teach uh, formalizing uh, mathematical proofs in this computer program called Lean. Okay, advertisement is over. I'd like to hear more about this actually, and maybe we'll like in the middle for a break. You guys can advertise it again, like all the great shows and podcasts. So let's go ahead now. Okay, so our first question, uh, Cody, is. How was this uh, relation between Sanskrit and programming established? More so because Sanskrit is very ancient as a language mm-hmm. and programming is the forefront of technology, if I may say so. Mm-hmm. So it's a very um, unintuitive connection. That's right, yeah. Um, so a good disclaimer is that I did not know much about this until two months ago. So what I'll be telling you right now is what I've learned over the past course of two months. Uh, as you as you know, Ashwini, we, like, I work in and you also work in formalization of mathematics. So that is a field of computer science slash mathematics in which you um, try to express computer or mathematical proofs in uh, in a computer so that the computer can check each logical inference. And uh, that is my area of research. And I was also interested in, in Sanskrit since I was a kid. I mean, as most of your audience might know, or at some form, if, you're, if you've been through the Indian high school uh, system, you might have been exposed to Sanskrit at some point in your life. Uh, that may not have been comprehensive, but anyway, so... A professor here at the University of Pittsburgh who, who was teaching Sanskrit. So I thought I'll sign up for that course. And while while I was in that course, uh, I got to know of this ancient grammarian called Panini. So that's quite remarkable, his Panini story. Uh, so Panini was uh, uh, an ancient grammarian who lived in the 5th century BCE. Um, and he was responsible for writing the Ashtadhyayi, which was the uh, which is still to this date the the, the canonical reference for uh, Sanskrit grammar, and the way he wrote the grammar is kind of interesting because it has strong resemblance to what you might have 
as a grammar for a programming language. So if if you're familiar with, uh, if you look up, say, the, the, the Java specification, if you pick up a book on Java uh, and look at the specification, the way the grammar starts out, the way the grammar is described is uh, it's called the Bacchus-Naur form. It's called the BNF. It's, it's kind of astonishing that if you read that book and if you read the Ashtadhyayi, you kind of see, see parallels in both of them. So that, in, in a nutshell, is where Sanskrit and programming are kind of similar. Although I should quickly add that uh, there has been a lot of, there have been many, many people, partly because people, you know, people are really proud of the Sanskrit language and they somehow want to tie that up with, with, uh, with, 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 with modern day notions just so they can they can say that hey like the the people back in india many years ago um were anticipating this and that's true to some extent but it's not true in in in, in certain extents also so uh, there have been many scholars who who disagree with this with this this characterization of of uh, of this as being programmed uh, of the ashtadhyayi at least being a computer program so uh, so what I would like to say is, uh, it is true, but like we should be familiar with the with the with the literature before we make any uh, like far-ranging statements. Is is what I would like to say. Yeah. Yeah. So like you said, Cody, that um, you were interested in Sanskrit, and I'd like to say that Ashwini is also interested in Sanskrit. So that's cool. Also, um, have you like how can you read Sanskrit? Is your Sanskrit there? Um, well, I can read Hindi. I can speak Hindi, so I can read Sanskrit in the same way I can read Hindi. Um, but uh, I'm not fluent in Sanskrit. No. Uh, well, I can't speak the language. I can read the language. Maybe I understand a few words because uh, Telugu and Telugu is my mother tongue, by the way. So Telugu and and uh, Hindi borrowed uh, many words and 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 the, the grammar structure from Sanskrit. So I'm sort of familiar at the Indian high school level, let's say. Let's and, just put it that. Um, would you like to describe the grammatical structure of Sanskrit a little bit? Maybe we could because I specifically want to contrast, like compare and contrast with say Hindi. Uh, and English because that's the language I think the three of us have in common right now. Yes. Um, let's see. So this is quite a task. I mean, um, so the language of Sanskrit, uh, well, the grammar of Sanskrit um, has at its forefront um uh, uh euphonic combination rules called sandhi rules um and these uh, i mean the, the same term is used even in telugu and also in hindi uh, as most of uh, people who who are familiar with hindi will know um and sandhi rules are basically um word at the intersection of word junctions uh certain uh, sounds get transformed into something else so the, the example i gave in a talk uh, well, uh, for English is when whenever you're if you, if you've seen British TV shows, there's this intrusive r sound. 
like I saw a film will become I saw a film and there's a r sound which, which comes in, right? The intrusive r sound. So this happens because language is evolves and it moves in a direction where uh, speech becomes easier to utter. Um, and uh, the Sanskrit grammar fully embraces this instead of just leaving it as a byproduct for language evolution. Um, they give they give like a, well Panini in his grammar gives like hundreds and hundreds of rules for um, Sandhi combination. Um, although I should again hasten to add that that was only one part of the Sanskrit grammar. There are many many other things which I'm not fully conversant with. Um, if you are uh, familiar with linguistics, there is this sort of um, box theory, which George Cardona refers it to, he calls it. So any language will start at the, at the base, there's, there's phonetics, which is speech, speech sounds. And then you combine phonetics to, to form, to form um, phonemes. And then you combine phonemes to become words, that's morphology. And then you combine words to, to form phrases and, and sentences. That is, uh, uh, what's that called? That's syntax, right? And then once you form the words, you need to assign meaning to them. So that's semantics. And then sometimes meaning becomes apparent. Um, meaning of a phrase or a sentence becomes apparent in context. So that's pragmatics. So this, of course, what I've just referred to you was, uh, is, is purely a Western characterization of things. And this started in, in the 1960s mostly by Chomsky and, and, the, and the other people. Um, but it was remarkable that 26 centuries before Chomsky, Panini actually had specific terms for each of these things in Sanskrit. Although I don't know them, unfortunately. Um, but I know that he had... Uh, I mean, this was well known to, to grammarians of Panini's time. Um, Sorry, I actually forgot what the question was. Did I answer the question? I'm not sure. I tend to go off on this tangent. Well, you kind of did. You kind of answered the question. And it was really interesting. All, yeah. the, all that, you know, the box theory and everything. It's so nice, you know, like, you, you said it in a very systematic <laughs> way. I really liked it. Yeah. So, um, my next question is a bit weird. But I heard your talk a few days ago. And uh, you gave a proof of mm -hmm. um, why Sanskrit can be considered one of the best languages to code in. Um, and can I ask you to give that same proof, but to be explained to kindergarten children? Wow, that's that's challenging. Uh, okay, if you if you prefer, um, I don't think I can do graders. that. <laughs> Let's see. So, okay. So let me just try to state the thing which I proved. Um, that will require some buildup. Um, okay. So as I said that there are these Sandhi rules, right? So for example, uh, let's think of a word or two words put together. Uh, subhodayam. Subha plus Udayam, right? So that's a Sanskrit word. Um, so at the intersection of the two words, the subha uh, and udayam, so a plus u becomes o, right? Subhodayam. So um, Panini has a rule for this, okay? Now, 
as you may imagine, there are many, many other words which have similar uh, transformations, about, uh, like phoneme transformations, right? So if he has to refer to this, um, it would be very inefficient for him to refer to each to each word at once, right? For each phoneme at once, say that okay, like this is a rule, or so it would be more efficient if he could refer to all of these rules as they transform at once. Um, and for him to do that, he would need to organize the list of phonemes, or uh, for example, in Subodayam, the A uh is a phoneme. He would have to organize all of these phonemes um, into a particular list uh, so that it would become easier to refer to them. And uh, you should appreciate that this referral of, of things is purely through speech because they did not have text or the printing press at that time, right? So everything which he would compose would get passed down the generations through through word of mouth. That's how the Vedas have been, have been uh, passed down from generation to generation. So he would need to refer to a list and he would have to make it as concise as possible because you don't want this, uh, a grammar text the size of the Rig Veda to explain the grammar in the Rig Veda, right? That would be very inefficient. So his solution was to create or put all of the phonemes in Sanskrit, which he would refer to, uh, into a data structure uh, called the Shiva Sutras. And the Shiva Sutras are so called because apparently the story was Panini was in a forest once and Lord Shiva came up to him in his Nataraja form and played his Damru and um, from his Damru he heard 14 sets of sounds and those 14 sets of sounds have been called the Shiva Sutras. Um, although people don't really think that that is, uh, that is a, the right way um, because it's it's very much a human invention. We can, we can, we can be sure of that. Anyway, so as I was saying, uh, he had the Siva Sutras and he, he came up with a data structure so he could refer to them easier. The proof which I gave, well, I did not give the proof. It is not an original proof. It was already proven by a, um, uh, a German linguist called Vipti Peterson in, in 2004, 5 and 9. Uh, she proved that this list of of uh, Shiva Sutras or this way of arranging the phonemes of, of the Sanskrit alphabet was optimal. It was optimal in the sense that you could not do any better than, than, than the list uh, which Panini came up with. If you could do better, it would be just rearranging the letters so that they occur in a different order. But up to the permutations, it was, it was the, the best possible choice. Um, the proof uses graph theory. Um, and uh, it's a bit complicated, so I don't think I'll be able to explain that to fifth graders. So, unfortunately, sorry, Ashwin. Well, that's that's all right. I don't think any fifth grader would be interested in graph theory either. So we are fine. Like they understood it till here, and then they went to eat like chocolate. So that's cool. That was okay. Hello, hello. Speak for yourself. As a fifth yeah. grader, I was Not very me. interested in graph theory. I was interested. In yeah. The only graph, Ashwini, that we knew in fifth standard was the one, you know, with those lines and we used it as like graph paper in our exams and, you know, to make X and Y axis. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Fine. Uh, mentioned that 
the proof was given by you know a german lady so i want to ask you a really important question now a serious mm-hmm. one <laughs> that what what has been the work done in this topic like on this topic like not just inside india but outside as well okay uh that's a great question and thanks for asking that so um as i said so, so largely panini's influence on linguists in general or linguist or the field of linguistics in general was largely unknown until the 19th century um and was essentially rediscovered by chomsky and the others but um recently about 50 years after uh, after after uh, this linguistics revolution which happened uh, there has been a rediscovery of paninian methods and panini's grammar in general um and there's there's a lot of work being done so uh, gerard huey who is the founder of this uh, project which created the cock proof assistant uh which uh, me and ashwini are, are familiar with uh, we we it's a it's it's a the the, the other proof assistant which uh, which is um, which people use so we use lean um but the other proof assistant which is also very popular is is the cock proof assistant and uh, gerard who was actually interested in uh, w- w- was responsible for for that for that project and um um and so he after he like in the in the 2000s he started being interested getting interested in this computational linguistics of sanskrit um and he it was he was very he was struck by this he he's a french guy i should add and he was struck by how precise the grammar was and he 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 was um amazed at how um concise the grammar was and how um and how much it resembled uh, programming languages which which was his field of study so um so he was responsible for 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 uh, starting the sanskrit computational linguistics conference which i think meets every 5 years i'm not too sure um so the first sanskrit computational linguistics conference happened in india where he is a professor um and then uh at regular intervals or irregular intervals after that there are there's people are still meeting and now there's a small school in in IIT Kharagpur and Triple IIT Hyderabad i think and there's the university of hyderabad there's there's a lot of people who are working um, in this subfield of sanskrit computational linguistics it's a thriving field on its own now um you specifically asked who are the western uh people who uh um who contributed to this i should add that there has been a very remarkable um man he his name is george george uh, cardona he is a professor at the university of pennsylvania and he has been studying paninian grammar um since the 1960s so that was or maybe the 1970s um so he i call him remarkable because he was born he's a complete westerner he was born in new york city he did his uh, phd in yale or maybe was i think he studied in yale and did his phd at the university of pennsylvania um and then he visited india and then he started learning sanskrit and he is the world expert on on paninian grammar he can speak sanskrit he can recite he can memorize the entire or parts of the ashtadhyayi 
he speaks gujarati he wrote a gujarati textbook right he speaks hindi he taught hindi at the university of pennsylvania and it's kind of amazing when you see like videos of him on youtube because he can switch effortlessly between sanskrit and and gujarati and and hindi and english and it's kind of remarkable the stories he says he, he talks about so uh, so he is the world's foremost expert on 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 one of the world's experts on on parani so um i thought I'd, i should mention him uh, also there have been uh so there's peter sharp at brown university um and um wells i can't think of other names they it will come to me but uh, so these are the the uh, uh, primary uh, uh, people who um, who are uh, working on the uh, sanskrit pani uh, pani grammar uh, at the current time yeah again an excellent answer like you know every time you speak you just know what you're saying mm-hmm. that's really good so to bombard you with yet another serious question what are the implications of this for yeah. not the linguistic aspect like we have spoken a bit about it but uh, for the programming aspect like where does this discovery if i might call it come into play when it comes to you know the practicalities mm-hmm. of programming in today's world right that's a that's again a very good question and i'm i'm actually very impressed by your question so you're asking like you're, you're just the right questions at that, that uh, so anyway um, 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 can i also take credit for this please we made this okay. together okay uh so let's see um as i said uh, the grammar of of uh, of of sanskrit panini's grammar uh, sort of resembles the grammar of a programming programming uh, language okay so the natural question is can we write a programming language which will generate proper sanskrit okay so now there's a problem with this and this has been alluded to by george cardona who i talked about earlier um george cardona is of the uh, is of the opinion that the box theory which i told you like phonetics and then phonology morphology and syntax semantics it's actually the very reverse for for uh, panini in 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 panini grammar so he says that the meaning comes first or something like that actually i don't want to get into what his his objection is but um his objection is that the standard box theory does not apply to to sanskrit grammar now because that is the case you cannot make this programming language or whatever so but there are people who are disagreed with him for example paul kaparski from stanford university he disagrees with him uh so so it's sort of like the linguists are all at each other's throat about this so can we do it can we not do it chiral huay says that um the you 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 both are wrong you both are only partly right um in one of his talks he actually says that uh, there's actually this mutual recursion between shabda and artha so the is is the meaning created first or is the word created first that is the essential uh uh point of contention here and uh, he says that both of them have a mutual recursion and uh, 
um, what is created is is what he, what he calls the sign. And Panini's grammar actually is a generative morphology in the sense that he tells you how words are created from the basic uh, morphemes. And the meaning is also created along with the word itself. And it, theoretically, some parts of it can actually be used to um, create uh, well-formed sentences uh, which are syntactically correct, along with the basic meaning. Um, of course, once you form the sentences, you'll only have the meaning of a sentence in isolation. You will then need pragmatics to 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 get the meaning of the of the phrase which has been uttered in context. Um, so, yeah, it's people are still researching on this, um, uh, and uh, it's. It's he Gerard Huey actually has a proposal for um, how one can get a proper programming language out of or uh, um, out of the Sanskrit grammar. So yeah, so the short answer is that yeah, it's still a work in progress and people are working on it and um, hopefully something something will come up in in the few next few years. So I have a follow up to that. So um, this whole thing about Sanskrit being good as a, you know for programming, the but the way we have been speaking about it and whatever I've been hearing like from you and a little bit that I knew before, I like I feel it is more relevant for linguistics. But like, what is your opinion on it? Is it like more geared towards the linguistic aspects of you know Sanskrit being uh, fit for programming and or whether this link is more relevant for programming in the longer run? Um, I'm not too sure. I think it's relevant in both ways. It's after all a, a proper spoken language and its linguistics have been completely mapped out 26 centuries ago. So it's very interesting for linguists. Um, again, its, it's grammar is completely specified as a perfect grammar. Uh, so precise that it's at the level of uh, the grammar for a programming language so the programming languages are all interested in it as well so it's a mix of both I say I, I should say so uh, the linguist it, it's relevant for linguistics and also um, programming languages and and I think that's that's the proper intersection of this new field, Sanskrit computational linguistics. I think it, it lies in the Venn diagram intersection of programming languages, Sanskrit and linguistics, and um, hence the name computational linguistics. Thank you. Uh, I have a, a question which you basically almost answered, but what is um, what are the potential opportunities for graduate students who want to do research on this topic? As in, is it a growing field or? I I I think it is. Um, I don't really know know the field well enough to comment on it, but um, there is. From what I've seen, there's definitely um, a lot of interest um, in this in this field, um, and so if someone wants to work on this field, yeah. So there are schools in IIT Hyderabad, uh, 
excuse me, University of Hyderabad and and uh, IIT Kanpur or IIT Kharagpur. Um, there are people working on it. So, yeah, I think. Um, yeah, so yeah, there are opportunities, but I can't really say for sure if the field is growing or there's certainly not. I, I don't see as much growth as as we see in the formal verification community but maybe that'll change hopefully it will change okay um and i have another question which is it's basically about more philosophical uh, because sanskrit is associated a lot with hinduism so um Mm -hmm. Maybe are there any religious texts which you think are or contain a lot of scientific information? Uh, scientific information. Let's see. I don't know the literature well enough, so I'm certainly not an expert on it. But I'm just trying to think if I've come across something which will answer this question. So uh, let me just start with something which is not scientific. Uh, so there's this book called Vedic Mathematics. Um, and I'm sorry to say that Vedic Mathematics is neither Vedic nor Mathematics. It's kind of uh, like these cheap calculation tricks which uh, which have no mathematical meaning at all. So. Um, that is a non-example, uh, but as I said in my talk, like ancient manuscripts of of, of Sanskrit outnumber uh, manuscripts of Greek and Latin combined by about ten times or a hundred times maybe. So there has been a lot of work put into it, um, but I can't really think of examples. I'll tell you where this head. comes from. Uh, Sanji um, and I had this discussion earlier yeah. today where you know we were speaking about how sanskrit is mostly thought of as a hindu language and uh, sanchi was of the opinion that the entire idea that science is something different from religion is a rather western idea that's not how uh, we thought about it in ancient india mm -hmm. exactly we didn't it's neat. it's not there like even in our vedas you have the religion and the science and they they coexist. This whole idea of you know the sep like separation of like science from religion is a very Western and a Middle Age concept. It does I, not, yeah, it does not correlate to our view, our methodology. Like the entire Indian philosophy, you know, like from the whole dharma, kama, purushartha, all of these things, they are rooted in this idea, in this idea that you know there is like this cycle and. Uh, there's there's moksha you have your dharma and then your dharma is fixed in this and so it's pretty kind of rational in their way so this whole idea is pretty western like as per my thoughts i agree i agree with you completely uh it's it's that um so the vedas they start so vedas are mostly religious right so, and these are so old that are the early the, the, the early iron age um the oldest of the vedas were from the early iron age so most of the hymns in the Vedas are basically like, I'll pray to you, O fire god, or I'll pray to you, O rain god. So that if I pray to you, 
and you see me like giving you offerings you will be kind to me and i'll be you know i'll be well off in my life that was the main motivation of of the text of the vedas um but there have been many like the vedas are if you look at it in general terms the the their the message is very chaotic and sometimes even contradictory like for example there's the nasadiya sutta in the in the uh, vedas uh, in the rigveda which is which is talks about do we know actually know if this god exists <laughs> you know if, if we are actually praying to him do we actually know he exists does god know who came before god i mean i'm paraphrasing but roughly this is like the earliest uh, recorded instance of agnostic thought and this is in the vedas right now the the basic advance in all indian culture is that when a new state of progress is reached you don't throw away the old one but you somehow find a way to incorporate the old thinking with the new thinking um and yeah so uh, this is sort of tangential to the what the topic was like so i'm pretty sure there there wasn't there wasn't a a a clear cut definition of what the science aspect is and what the philosophy aspect is as far as i can tell so uh, it all seems like it's it's a it's a huge mush of of uh, of of thought by different people at at different stages in time sometimes centuries apart all put into one and so it gives you a perspective of how their thought changed within the same same text itself and yeah that okay, so, yeah um, as a digression because as usual we are all about tangents aren't we ashwin <laughs> like you said this the first instance of agnostic thought where that you know was there anything before the gods i have seen that in non abrahamic religions and basically not you know what i mean non abrahamic religions like the the ones that the westerners call pagan religions they have this thought in their head that even like say ancient greeks that there were the gods before them were the titans before them was uh, mother earth and the whole and that ties up to ancient egyptian philosophy of maat and isfet the chaos and order that before the gods there was only chaos and then there was order and then there was everything then there was creation so these or i feel like all of these religions have this entire thing in their head that we were not the first ones to come as com- you know as compared to the abrahamic ones in which they like oh yeah we are the we are the supreme so that that just digression tangent and on yeah, an even massive tangent i don't actually a lot of times i do think about the difference between philosophy and science because science is also just some philosophy with some basic axioms and you know you build on that using logic but then so is religion or that is what religion should be unless you know you make it extreme ashwini we've had this discussion we're not bringing religion here because that is an entire <laughs> episode i told you i could give you a 3 hour talk on that yes you did <laughs> we've had this same discussion before a lot of times i'm sorry i just had to you know how it goes <laughs> i know we we come up to i think because this basically happens is because we have this chasm between our belief systems right do we mm-hmm. i mean yeah I mean I'm a pretty much an atheist like not pretty much I am 
Mm-hmm. And Ashwini is not. I guess I'm more of an I don't know. I, I, don't know. I guess I'm agnostic. Um, so, you know there's that but it leads to a lot of interesting discussions like these like from from 10 years right yeah bro it's going well <laughs> sorry kodi what were you saying we'll continue our no, romance yeah, later this is fascinating <laughs> no i was i didn't have anything to say so okay. yeah so i'd like to ask you like perhaps the last uh, serious question mm-hmm. because it looks like we're in a mood for digressions but this is a question that needs to be asked are there any books that we can read on this topic like you know our listeners would like to you know if they want to explore this any books the best book on indian philosophy because we are currently on that topic right now is is this book it's called the essentials of indian philosophy by mysore hiriyanna i think that's how you say it, his name his last name he was a contemporary of sarvepalli radhakrishnan um and this book is actually it's very as i don't know i don't think your your listeners can see this but it's a very thin book um it's about uh, how like around like 200 pages and it's fairly comprehensive on on all different modes of thought um of course there's only so much you can say in 200 pages but uh, that's a very very good book on indian philosophy and uh, if you want to read the ashadhyayi itself that you're in for a challenge um it, there's the ashadhyayi of panini which is a two volume work by shrish chandra basu this was written uh, like 100 years ago um it's kind of sad because like in the preface he says we need some donations from 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 people who want to want to sponsor this work because this is such a monumental part of indian culture we want to keep it going but we don't have the money so please give us more money so that we can finish volume 2 <laughs> so um anyway so that's that's a good uh, reference of course you don't need a book for the ashadhyayi now because it's all online and it's amazing uh, it's called ashadhyayi.com you can click on each it's like a completely like web indexed version of the ashadhyayi you can click on each sutra you can hear the sutras um you can uh, like like there's like lots of notes and commentaries on them so the ashadhyayi is entirely online so don't look at the books unless you're old school um what else yeah so there's gerard hues papers those are his his website has a bunch of talks and a bunch of papers on on half baked ideas uh, or the status of the research proposals rather on how he'd like the field to progress so that is good reading for my proof uh i followed uh, peterson so wiki peterson b w i b k e wiki wiki peterson she's uh, her thesis is in german unfortunately um um and uh, uh, some of her follow up papers in 2008 and 9 on, on the shiva sutras so that's also good reading also if you want to see like this motif that the shiva sutras were actually inspired by lord shiva where that comes from then deshpande has written a very nice article on uh, on it's called who inspired panini So that's also a good reading. Um yeah, I think I think that's 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 enough, right? A lot of a good reading list. Yeah, that's perfect. And, Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, every time I hear Panini, I can't stop thinking about 
food item paninis panini yeah yeah this was ashwini who stole my stupid question i was going to ask him do you think about the sandwich every time you hear the name panini thanks for that thanks i'm <laughs> it's not the first yeah. time that's happened <laughs> no i know no it's especially when you're talking with uh, with someone here right who was born brought up in the us it's kind of hard to get them to pronounce the name right, the correct way they always say panini and then like i think of the sandwich in fact um gerard hue has it had a talk called panini machine um which was again the same thing i told you about right how can we build a machine which will emulate the panini and he has a slide called wrong panini machines and then he puts put some puts a picture of the of the panini machine So uh, that was that was quite funny. Anyway, so after that uh, contentious segue into stupid questions, I think we are deep into it. So my second technically stupid question, I think one Ashwini and I can share the credit. So my second stupid question is, what do you think about English as a programming language? Like, if you had to use, if you had to like use English as a programming language. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> no, no, I just wouldn't. It's got to give us more than that. Uh well, it's that's that's mostly what people are trying to do nowadays, right? So if if you're familiar with natural language processing, roughly what the idea is can we get some content out of um out of the english language uh which, which is i don't know uh, there's a lot of artificial intelligence and ai work being done in this area and uh, not too familiar with most of it so people are using it in, in a certain sense if you tell your phone to set an alarm for the next uh, for 5 am tomorrow you're sort of programming in english right if you think about it uh so people are doing it and people are fairly successful at it but uh um the grammar of of english is is more complicated it's incomplete right you don't have a panini style grammar for for grammar or any other language uh, so to speak so um yeah If I think about it I I won't program in Sanskrit either. So I program Why not? Well it was wasn't designed for programming. It was designed to be spoken. So I think you should you should use the tools in a way that they're, they're designed for, right? So it has a very precise grammar. which will enable computers to maybe work with it better or create sentences which are grammatically correct easier but that does not necessarily mean that you'll program in sanskrit so as an addendum to this stupid question i have a stupid follow up question mm-hmm. and that stupid follow up question is so like in the future if there are cyborgs and robots and then they are programmed in sanskrit but then they are also speaking sanskrit do they fulfill all the things that you mentioned that sanskrit should do uh 
What did I mention that Sanskrit should do again? Uh, you said that Sanskrit is a language and it should be spoken. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. I don't know. This is a very complicated question. Yeah. So let's just say yes. That's my answer. Okay, that's good to know. So in the future, if anybody's listening and they're going to make cyborg, program them in Sanskrit, make them speak Sanskrit, and then you sure. would have yes. Yes. And then don't kill us because we, you know, spoke of this idea. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have a stupid question. Uh, it's a weird one, but our stupid questions are meant to be weird. Um, so, would you say Gayatri Mantra is Sanskrit rap? Gayatri Mantra is Sanskrit rap. Um. In a form, or at least like a pop pop culture. It's not pop culture, no. Um, if you think about it, any poet rap is essentially poetry, right? There are like bars and beats. I mean, I, I have a tendency to answer all stupid questions very methodically, so please forgive me. But. No, no, that's not it. Yes, this is too no, serious. No, basically, what we do, right? We ask people stupid questions, and they give us wonderful answers. So, like, it's par for course. You're on the right track. Go on. So, um, you have bars and beats, um, and you try to fit so many syllables within that many bars and that many beats, right? And if you look at Sanskrit prosody, it's called chandas, chandasu. If you look at that, essentially that will dis- prescribe a, a meter in which you you add so many lagulu and gurulu in in one one certain allowable sentence. So if you think about it, chandasu is essentially the word Sanskrit shlokas which follow a meter. They're all it's essentially rap, right? Because it follows the same roots. Actually, rap. is not um it's more free form so it's more of like the poetic tradition of like shri shri if you i don't know if if you know the the telugu poet shri shri he did not want to be bound by the rules of of chandasu so he his poems were all free form and um like he was an activist he was a communist so he had this communist philosophy and anyway so he he was his poems were pre free form but they still had this beat to them so it was very nice when you hear them so um yeah so essentially yeah i mean you, you, there are similarities between between both of them uh not direct similarities but one is uh, a derivation of the other in some sense so yeah Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say um MS Subalakshmi one of the most eminent Carnatic vocalists of mm-hmm. all time was basically a rapper basically that's all Okay and as as a, I just remembered an addendum I had for a previous stupid question that you answered about uh, you know AI is make, you know making them learn english and stuff So I had a friend once upon a time, and he was programming an AI to write poetry. 
and uh, as a base like you know you got to give them some input to learn uh, he gave it like a lot of my poetry and you know the only thing the uh, ai came up with there 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 that was it that was it and my heart broke but that's okay that's that's fine interestingly there's a there's a similar sanskrit poem actually there's a similar telugu poem uh, in the court of uh, shri krishna devaraya there was this uh, telugu poet called nandi temanna his name is nandi temanna so uh, he wrote, so when i was in school we had a play in which uh, a telugu professor he made us reenact this play and each one of us was one of the poets the ashtadigrajas of shri krishna devaraya and one of us uh, one of us was nanditimanna and one poem was actually uh, it was an entire poem using just two syllables ma and na so the idea was whenever you see ma or na and you and you touch your nose there is this it's called timara so when you say ma na ma na your nose sort of sort of has has this like it's called a timara so it's called mukkutimanna so nanditimana is a poet who 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 like sort of what's the, i don't know the english word for it he has the he has that nose effect so it uh, the opening line of the poem was like mana 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 nana manu nanu nina mana 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 nima mana mana and then it goes on like that it's just with mana and the amazing thing is it actually makes sense i mean there's actually meaning to it it's not nonsensical so maybe the there 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 whatever that was maybe that had some meaning who knows no i i give no credit to the person who made that program i just know that my poems could not because neither of my poems had the word there in it okay <laughs> see the, the yeah the ai came up with the word there by itself yeah like what is the ai trying to say like i am here or you are there i don't get it is the ai a philosopher now i don't know yeah yeah our original sanskrit by the uh, our original question by the way for you know the rap question was can you rap in sanskrit and since you said you don't actually you know uh, know sanskrit that much you were like nope but then you did it anyway so cool. yeah this wasn't sanskrit with telugu but there's actually a similar poem in 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 sanskrit and i think this is where nandithimana actually took his influence from so sanskrit's everywhere it's it's at the uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's everywhere. Are you are you by any chance interested in like linguistics? I'm slowly developing an interest because because of this uh of the Shiva Sutras and the the talk I gave. Um but then I should focus on my thesis which is completely different. Um my 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 advice the eternal grad student. Yeah, my advisor is very very he's he's the best. So he's he supportive in all of all of my endeavors he even helped me write that proof so he's um he's supportive of all of this and he's he's interested but i should probably like get back to my research work at some point you know postdocs and all of that await so yeah uh, the reason why i asked is because you know like you said sanskrit is everywhere and i remembered i read something about proto indo european like you know right. the language that came before sanskrit and a lot of their words that those words you can see in sanskrit you can see in english the most common one being pater yeah yeah, yeah. patra pater 
that's true that's true and there are many other words like that that's true um i don't know much about brother. them that's very interesting sorry brother 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 correct yeah uh saint and sant sant is hindi i don't know if it's sanskrit but yeah saint and sant that's right there's, so there's this conjecture that there's a proto indo european language which is at the base of all of these languages and yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty interesting there was some very interesting things that you can glean from a language from its like uh, la- like from its the culture of people from its language too many words in the sentence but yeah so mm-hmm. like uh, so they figured out that that society was also patriarchal because like there were names for your uh, husband's parents in that but no names for your wife's parents stuff like that mm-hmm. interesting observation Yeah. yeah, you know, if you are interested in linguistics, you know, maybe we can talk. I, I was actually, so the, I actually, before I discovered Sanskrit, when, and maybe that's a wrong word, before I rediscovered Sanskrit, I um, I was actually interested in this other language called Lajban. Lajban is this company. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Come was, on. Yeah, so for, for, for people on the podcast, so Lajban is this uh, uh, language which is built on the principles of first order logic. and uh, it's impossible to 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 be syntactically ambiguous in this language so um, it's been proven to be um, i mean so this means that i can always understand what you said but i may not always understand what you meant so if i say i love you but you actually mean i hate you i mean <laughs> syntactically i love you is a is a is a perfect sentence but um if you mean you may mean something else right? you never know so so that's what that's what it stands for but uh i i wanted to speak that language because you know logic who doesn't love logic so but the the, the thing was it had these sort of like sanskrit there are these root words which you need to memorize um and there were like 5000 of them so that's that's just too much right Uh, so then i gave up on that and then now i think sanskrit is logical enough for me although it's not fully syntactically unambiguous but yeah well i was uh, i was into this entire phase where i, I i'm not still out of it it's just on hold but i was into this phase where i wanted to like make my own conlang okay mm-hmm. so, so so that's when i got into all of this to you know see Yeah, yeah, yeah. How language works, the linguistics, and would it be possible for me to come up with a language? And the answer is yes, but it's also like the language will suck. Yeah, yeah. You can always have the trivial language on on one alphabet or something, right? Or no, I, I, I wasn't just making a conlang for the heck of it. it it's let's just say it's part of my authorial ambitions. Yeah, kind of like uh, J.R. Tolkien. Uh, Yeah, like Tolkien. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it just makes more sense, right? Like, if you're building a world of your own, why would it be like based in English or Hindi or Marathi or those are the only three languages I can write in? So, yeah, I don't know. Why would it be based in any of those languages? Wouldn't it? Shouldn't it rather have like a soul of its own? Like, you know, there's that other thing that when you think in a language, then your emotions, your feelings. become different like especially for people who speak more than two languages like most indians uh the the whole you know when you're thinking in like like you, your mother tongue still you right mm-hmm. yeah so uh, ashwini knows more languages than us i think 
How many languages do you speak, Ashwini? Uh, properly or improperly? <laughs> improperly. Okay, so properly I speak English, Hindi, Marathi. Can can I say I speak Marathi properly, Sanchi? No, no, <laughs> trust me, no. <laughs> I'm just But out of practice. Like, uh, <laughs> you're you're really good for someone whose parents are not Marathi. You know? Yeah. So I mean, like, good, like your accent is on point, and it's just that you mix up words. So yeah. So I guess, including improper languages, I speak English, Hindi, Marathi, Sindhi, Tamil, uh, Bengali. Yeah. For oh, Bengali, you picked up from my side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> uh, it was interesting because it was in Bangalore, but then you're surrounded by Bengalis, so you ended up. picking up more bengali than kannada yeah and the interesting thing is that i can actually sing better in all these languages instead of speaking in it mm. same right like i can sing a lot of songs that i don't even understand the language to just because it's on music yeah i can sing i can sing like german metal songs ramstein sing one now sing trap <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to? Yes. <laughs> okay, but before that, I wanted to say that this, so there's this uh, Sapir-Whorf hypothesis that the thing you were mentioning is that does does the language you speak in actually influence how you think? So my my motivation of learning like Lajban was if I start to think in Lajban, will that make me a more logical person? That's why I wanted to learn it. So um, uh, do I have to sing? Okay, it's okay if you don't want to. Yeah, I don't really want to. You know, so if, you, if you guys want to hear me sing something, I'm I'm free for that. You know, just. Sorry, my laptop just crashed for no reason whatsoever. Uh, it was basically an anticipation of Cody not singing the. Yeah, the I think there was a sign from the from the universe telling me. <laughs> yeah but um to wrap it up thank you so much kori i have definitely missed podcasting a lot this is one of our first uh, episodes for season 2 and I, it's always very nice the, the reason i invited you was because it's very nice to speak to somebody who's you know uh, really passionate about something and they want to just talk about it Yeah, amazing. I can, yeah, I can talk about this on and on. So, thank you for for having me on, and um, yeah, hopefully some people will be interested in this, and um, hopefully they'll want to relearn Sanskrit as I did. So, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, and I will see you on Saturday. I guess hopefully, if yeah, someone yeah. listens to this, they will also. Oh, yeah, second advertisement maybe. If if you are listening to this and you want to prove theorems on a computer, join us on the Discord. Um, reach out to Ashwini for the invite. Yep. Okay. We'll put the we'll put the link in our podcast description. Don't worry. We're very good at the whole advertisement thing, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> okay. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. <laughs>